Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. It takes a pandemic. Okay, you fill in the rest. For instance, it takes a pandemic for me to finally clean out my desk. It takes a pandemic to start reading that pile of New Yorkers. Uh, it takes a pandemic for me to finally learn to fake. Well, for audiences of live performance, it takes a pandemic to cherish our actors and musicians. With our great jazz venues and theaters closed, live performance has stopped. But actors and musicians continue to create. They have to. It's who they are. For this Hunker Down podcast, I talk with these artists who perform for a living about how social distancing is affecting their work now and when this is all over. About their dedication to the art of live performance. Thing in Yiddish I ever learned in 12 years of yeshiva was one curse uh, that my uh, 10th grade Chumash Rebbe told us, which is, You may you live like a chandelier, hang all day, and burn all night. And I can think of one or two people in Yiddish theater I could say that about. <laughs> For this Hunker Down episode, I'll be talking with two actors working in and out of New York City's Yiddish theater. Since the great immigration of Jews from Europe in the 1880s, our city has been the center of Yiddish theater. Yiddish theater continues at such venues as the National Yiddish Theater Volksbina, which has been in downtown Manhattan since 1915. The stand-up comic Jackie Hoffman describes Yelena Schmolson and Alan Lewis Rickman as the Yiddish Lunt and Fontaine. Yelena Schmolson was born in Belarus and came to the U.S. with her family in 1993. She studied acting at Marymount College and learned Yiddish at the YIVO Institute for Jewish Research. And she is known for her work in The Good Shepherd, Romeo and Juliet in Yiddish, and she was the inmate Boyle on Orange is the New Black. Alan Lewis Rickman grew up in Far Rockaway in a Yiddish-speaking family. He attended modern Orthodox schools and studied film at Brooklyn College. He is known for his work on The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, Boardwalk Empire, as an actor and a translator, and The Cobbler. And he's quite busy as a Yiddish translator, and he lectures and writes about Yiddish theater. Yelena and Alan are probably best known for the brilliant opening of the Coen Brothers' A Serious Man, which we will talk more about later. They met in 1999 at the Volksbina Theater and got married at the Players Club in 2001. Uh, one more thought. Stick around for the end of this conversation for Elaine and Allen's performance of a piece about baseball and a canter. Uh, I want to welcome Elaine and Allen to Hunker Down. Uh, I already opened the episode with a quote from your friend and comic Jackie Hoffman. I guess Jackie is your friend? Jackie's yes. a dear friend. Okay, I, I, I assume that from the way she keeps popping up in uh, all, all the references I found for you. And she compares you two to the Yiddish Lunt and Fontaine. <laughs> so, um, I don't know how many people today know either what Yiddish is or Yiddish theater or who Lunt and Fontaine, Fontaine are, right? So, 
So today I would like to focus on one of those two topics, and that's Yiddish theater. So if we, if we could do that, maybe some other time we can talk about how you are so much like Lutton Fontaine. Um, we, we're, we're not very much like them at all. Yeah, well, it was a reference I guess she came up with, and it was kind of funny. Yeah. My uh, mother would have said, I should have their money. but uh, Yeah, well, funny. how are you two handling the coronavirus and social distancing? We avoid each other as much as possible. Yeah, that, that's, <laughs> we fail at that completely. Yeah, it looks um, like you're failing, yeah. Well, it's, it's you know, uh, like with everybody else, uh, it affects us in two different ways. And one is work-wise and one is socially, obviously. Um, and I would say they're about equally depressing. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, you just did a book. You just did a book with a good friend, my good friend Paula Parker. Yeah, uh, but that was um, that was alone at home. I mean, usually at least in a studio you get, you know, yeah. there's an engineer. Paula comes in or Paul pops in or something. Yeah. And this was just me and, you know, I was doing it at night. I was doing it at home. Yeah. Um, and I was doing it at night and the streets were quiet because it was in the at the height of the quarantine. And it was equally depressing. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's good that it's quiet um, because when you go into the studio... It's obviously very quiet, but it's a whole other experience. Right, but we also we also live in Midtown, so it's... it's across ne- the street from a fire across department. Across the street from the fire department, so it's never quiet. Yeah. Uh, it's yeah. Fortunately, I grew up under the flight path at Kennedy Airport. Uh, yeah, we had a tent right on the airstrip over there. But, um, I grew up in Far Rockaway, and so I'm used to sudden loud noises constantly happening. Usually at the moment that the detective in the B movie you're watching on television is just about to say, and so the murder was actually committed by... Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's right. And, 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 and when you were a kid, you couldn't kind of back, backtrack. No. Right. You had to, no, you had to no. wait for the ne- another year before it kind of rerun. Exactly. You could, you could, you could, hear, you could hear it again. So uh-huh. work-wise, we have, uh, Elena just did the audio book. I've done uh, a number of things at home. So that work is there, but even that is not, it's not quite up to speed. It's occasional. Yeah. And the bulk of our work, which is live theater and also film and television, is, of course, completely gone. I also do translation, and I have, but I have not been doing much of that lately because I don't do it uh, uh, just on spec, I do it when I have a, a project in the offing, like, uh, for example, uh, a couple of things I've done at YIVO, at the YIVO Institute on 16th Street. I do trans, trans, translations of Yiddish plays, which are then uh, put together, cast, and we do a staged reading, and they make a big event out of it there. But as we can't do it live, as we can't do it with an audience in the theater. So, But, I mean, there are a lot of theaters that are going on Zoom, I know the, the Alternative Theater is doing one. I just uh, Something just came out of HB Studio that I saw. Uh, there is a theater in D.C., a very well-known theater called Theater J, probably the most prominent uh, Jewish theater in the country. They just did a Zoom reading of one of my translations. But it's, it's a very, very difficult thing to do because, number one, you can't really recreate the interpersonal dynamic that you have when you're rehearsing in a room. Uh, equity, unfortunately, is extru- has been extremely unhelpful with this too. In that uh, this was a they did I'm amazed how well it came out. We had a superb cast too, but we had unbelievably limited rehearsal time for this, and uh, strictly because of Equity's brand new rules 
on this. And so it takes a difficult situation and makes it all that more difficult when, frankly, yeah. actors are happy to get together and do some kind of work. That's, I guess, uh, one reason why we or you become, anyone becomes an actor, is that social connecting and playing and pretending and creating together. And, not a uh, question. I, I dipped my toe in stand-up years ago, and I found very quickly it's not for me because it doesn't have precisely that. Yeah. Let's turn to, to, to Yiddish, which is kind of the, the a big part of both your lives. Uh, so much of the work that you two do as actors is in Yiddish. So I thought we'd start off because we have uh, our listeners don't necessarily know about Yiddish or about the Yiddish theater or have the wrong ideas about what it is. What is Yiddish? Are you looking at me? Yeah, yeah, he is. Turn. <laughs> I, can, I can see he kind of gestured to you. I, I could bloviate till the cows come home. I know, you know, I was enjoying it for a second. <laughs> um, it's, uh, Yiddish is a language of the Jews, uh, distinct from Hebrew. Of Eastern Europe. This was, yeah. Why don't you talk? I'm sorry. You guys sound just like my wife and I. We, we have this podcast, and it's like I'm constantly like interrupting her. Right, well, my, uh, uh, when we talk like this, my family thinks we're fighting. We're actually no. not not on not on any level. We're just this is the lo- this is the communication. No, her her family. You know, they, they Yelena's from the former Be Soviet nice. Union. She came over when she was a kid. But from Belarus, you know, her family, I, I learned. Oh yeah, her family still got the Soviet mentality, and you know they hear that if uh, anything sounds vaguely don't like tension, don't, like don't that. argue. No, 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 no. They think MKVD is going to come in door and take you off to Gulag. So yeah, yeah. people yeah. are listening. Don't argue. <laughs> Why didn't you tell us about Yiddish, sweetie? <laughs> <laughs> it's a language of the Jews of Eastern Europe. Uh, it is a, a, a language that's it's about a thousand years old, which means it's about as old as Italian. One of the things that people constantly comment on Yiddish is they say it sounds so much like German. German is the principal root language. About two-thirds of Yiddish vocabulary comes from 10th century German. And, and, the, grammar, and the grammatical structure is basically German with a lot of different... Um, other influences. Yeah. So, so with, uh, with the verb at the end of the line, I mean, you no, can, see, it's not no. that German. That's, but yeah, the, that's but the, so the, you know, the little bit from, uh, oh my God, what is it called? The prefix from the verb at the end of the sentence. Okay, so that's that, German. Yeah. That's yeah. that's that definite. That is definitely. Okay. But uh, no, but this, but the, the sentence structure is not is not German. No, but uh, so that's about two thirds of it comes from from tenth uh, century German, and so that you can because it's that's a thousand years ago, you can still hear the root language very vividly. It's Italian similarly. It's, Italian's just about the same age. And you can hear the Latin in Italian the way you can hear the, the German and Yiddish. Uh, the other third comes from a mix of a whole bunch of things. Hebrew is the second biggest influence, uh, then Slavic languages, and then a bit of everything else, including French and Italian. And so, English. So pretty, so pretty English. much every so pretty much every pretty much every word can be traced to the mother language. So like Schmendrick. Not... Schmendrick, is that is that well, German? Sh- sh- Schmendrick is actually, actually that's, well, that's, it's a made-up word altogether. Yeah, that's 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 Schmendrick is. You pick an interesting example because that's actually a character name from an old Yiddish play there you go. that entered the you know the, that Vernacular. became a colloquialism. Yeah. But and it's sh- actually a name, a made-up name. And Schlemiel? Hell if I know. <laughs> <laughs> that one. I, funny. That's the, those are the words, of course, that that are most uh, common. I do, that I, those I do, ask me an easier one. Okay, okay. Uh, or, I'll, I'll, or we can crack out the dictionary, and I can find nah, the actual. No, 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 no. I just I, those are the two I knew. So I, uh, I also. That's it. You only know two. <laughs> well, I probably know more, and they just you know they 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 come up. My grandfather, when he was watching uh, the soaps, he would say "Gay Kachaf and Yom," which which is a, a little curse at the soaps. 
uh, which uh, defecate means, on the waters. Yeah, go, that is what everybody knows. That is, yeah, that's, that yeah. is the third one that everybody knows. That's the third one that everybody knows. Shemendrix, Lemiel, Gay, Kekop, and Yom, right. Why defecate on the sea? Is that, uh, uh, what the hell does that mean? I know. What does it, the, it sounds it very clean. Food. It's like, because, you know. <laughs> If you Instead wanna... of the desert, you go to the sea. You go to the sea, right. <laughs> Relieve yourself hygienically. Right, uh, away from the desert. Mm-hmm. My family used Yiddish to keep secrets, mm-hmm. and so we never learned Yiddish. You two studied Yiddish. I mean... Uh, she studied I did. Yiddish. Yeah, All right, so, a, he's, uh, he's, his, par- his family didn't keep secrets. My parents spoke Yiddish not for purposes of secrets, which was so the common story. I mean, your, your experience is so typical. That happened with so and many I was, I, mean, I was always wondering, I was like, what were they thinking? Were they it's thinking very it's useful. like... It's useful. It is what? very useful to have a separate language that you could talk in front of everybody. But I mean, not... if they just thought a little bit into the future, said, what's going to happen to this language if we don't but, teach it to our children? It wasn't even they, in their minds. But because, because, their, because their mindset is our children should be American. That's exactly well, it. Well, there the you go. They sh- yeah, they shouldn't be like us. They're, I have heard so many stories, and from other people, from Spanish speakers, from Japanese speakers, the family moves to America, and the kid goes to school, and the parents stop speaking the language that they were speaking to him prior to moving because they want him to not have an accent and to blend in and to become an American. Yeah, and that's that's particularly, uh, 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 I can't find the right adjective at the moment, but that, that, that trend, that, that urge is something that's particularly voracious, uh, I think, among a certain generation of Jews from a few generations back. And it is a terrible thing, as you say, that because the, it, it, this wonderful literary, dramatic, and colorful and expressive language it has not been lost but it's been wildly diminished 90 percent of the jews in the world spoke yiddish yeah uh, they deliberately decided not to use it as the language of the of the movement but uh, nonetheless that was the reality that i'm 90 percent of the jews in the world uh, were yiddish speakers and it is it the the, the now there's the estimates vary uh, it's generally it's estimated at a couple of million a million to two million, something in that ballpark, Yiddish speakers in the world. Israel, which had the opportunity of being the salvation of Yiddish, where Yiddish could have been treated as a second language, because most of the Jews in Israel spoke Yiddish, Israel could have easily had in Yiddish the status that Spanish had for us in America. But instead, uh, the, the, the Sabras were violently antagonistic Yiddish. There are all sorts of absolute horror stories. I mean, they uh, had they had a goal. The goal was to revive Hebrew and to make sure that the he- that Hebrew is the spoken language. But in, while they were making sure that Hebrew was on top, they just they, they, were, they didn't. It's not that they ignored Yiddish. They actively sort of suppressed it. Suppressed they, it. There was a time that's, when that's we talk word. about this. We have a show that is that part of Yiddish is expressing yourself with your hands. That's <laughs> No, there's, we're just New Yorkers. There's, there's an old joke like that, that's visual, so it won't play on the podcast. But at the time of the old uh, candlestick phones, uh, the old-fashioned phone with the you know we hold one the, the handset in one hand and the earpiece in the other hand, and a Jew is, who comes to America is taught for the first time how to use a telephone. You hold this in your right hand and you hold this in your left hand. But then he looks at his hands and he says, "Well, then how are you supposed to talk?" <laughs> exactly. I I wanted to get a little bit to the quality of Yiddish, and I heard uh, Alan. I want to hear from Yelena too about um, you know 
and I can I could describe what you said and on the Wexler oral history is that Yiddish is not a language of the armies. It's civilized, it's smart, it's complex. Um, and I'm kind of quoting from you. It comes from a people okay, interested notes. in smarts and not force. What is the quality of Yiddish? Why is Yiddish not Hebrew? Why is it not German? Why is it not English? What is it that well, makes it Yiddish? And why should it continue? I know, that's a hard one. Well, no, no, no. Well, you, you no, said you wanted to try to answer it, so, so sure, pop, I'm going out for a beer. I'll see you me. later. Um, I... Not even too. It's, it's, really? <laughs> she's, she's looking late. at her watch. Yeah, no, it's, this is not easy. It's an early morning for me. Um, it's you know Yiddish never had a country. I think that is. I think you're trying to get at something. You know, it, it's just it, there was never a place where everybody spoke Yiddish. Okay. And so you know, this is a nomadic language, just like the Jews are a nomadic people. Wherever they went, they took it with them. It's it, it just never had to develop as any other language because there was never a country that spoke yeah. that spoke it. I mean, let, that, me, that, let me take a different angle on this, if I may. Yeah. It's part of it is. I'm uh, we we um we're rudely interrupted by Zoom because we weren't getting a good connection. Maybe this this will work better. I was asking about what is the essence of Yiddish, and we were struggling and coming up with some kind of um, intellectual answers here. Uh, Alan, you said you had a take on it. Uh, I, I I thought, Elaine, I mean, it was a good answer, but it was like, I mean, it wasn't... We're, we're actors, and you're asking us these really deep, quest, deep, meaningful don't, questions. Don't, 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 be, don't be so self-abasing. Don't call yourself an actor. You can oh. actually read and write. Um, sorry. I, I can, I mean, I can ask it a little differently, and that Try is... That. When you speak English, when you are acting in English... You are in a certain acting, feeling, emotional, mental place. When you're acting and speaking in Yiddish, you're in another place. What is that other place that you're at when you're speaking Yiddish? I think that is, that's a question we've been asked before. And I do think it is easy to over, overplay that idea. I'll tell you why. Mm -hmm. When you approach a script that's in Yiddish, you approach it exactly the same way as you approach a script that's in English. Mm -hmm. No, Really no difference whatsoever. Acting is acting is acting. The biggest difference between a play in Yiddish and a play in English is a play in Yiddish takes place in a world. Wait a minute, say uh, that again. It got lost. It was like you just got to the punchline and went... Blah, 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 blah. Son of a bitch. Yeah. He I, could do it again. I, yeah. He could do it again. <laughs> yeah. Okay. You, I mean, yeah. you, you were saying that you've had this question asked before, and it's really no different. So if you it's, could... Well, the, the, the approach, when you're approaching a, a, uh, acting in a play in Yiddish and acting in a play in English, there really is no difference whatsoever. Uh, the, um, what, your acting is acting. The more significant difference is the play that was written in Yiddish and the play that was written in English. At that point, we stopped... And Yelena reset their modem to see if we could get a better sound. Oh, zoom, golly, golly. Here we go. Okay, so before, before we, were, uh, we were interrupted, we were talking about <laughs> the, the, uh, the difference between speaking Yiddish, speaking English, performing in Yiddish, performing in English. And, uh, and Alan, you were saying that there is no difference. There is there is no difference in the the technical approach of acting in Yiddish versus acting in English. Uh, there's it's it's funny. I think there are more stereotypes 
about, there are more people who believe stereotypes about Yiddish theater than there are people who have actually seen Yiddish plays, which probably makes sense. Which is what I uh, want to get to. It's those stereotypes that I think maybe is holding it down, that there's oh, much more richness to what's going on than people understand. And that's my, what my questions are trying to get to. There's Nama Sandro. Why didn't you who, just say so? <laughs> Nama Sandro, who wrote the uh, <laughs> the best book by far uh, in English on Yiddish theater, Vagamon Stars, a world history of Yiddish theater. She wrote it in the 70s. An anecdote she was teaching at that time, and the, the faculty at that time was mostly Jewish men and women uh, of uh, who were, say, 60-ish or something in age. And there, were, there was some kind of faculty meeting, whatever, and there was an informal conversation. They said, so what are you working on? What are you working on? She said, well, I'm writing a, a history of Yiddish theater. And one of these, you know, 60s uh, New York uh, semi-assimilated Jews, what's, what's a nice Jewish girl like you doing writing about Yiddish theater? And everybody in the room laughed. That a young person would be interested in, in the it's not just that as a young person, but would, that's not that's true. But it's not just that a young person be interested. In it, but there was something inherently déclassé about Yiddish theater because Yiddish theater, to somebody who knows nothing about these ridiculous stereotypes, is they think it is all overblown melodramatic uh, 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 things about uh, the suffering of a mother. In uh, no, it's, it's it's not a, they don't even wait it's really, if they know anything they know it, that it's it's not even about the suffering of a mother. It's literally I was in a play about. It was like a new work in progress about something about Yiddish movies. And there was no rehearsal. It was completely cold and we were performing it and three hours in front of everyone. And the actors get there and the person tells them, okay, this is, this is about Yiddish movies. And all of the actors are Yiddish theater actors. And immediately all of these people who have never worked in Yiddish theater before or know anything about it started raising their arms and gesticulating. Like that is, <laughs> that is without, without exception. And I remember looking around saying, why are you doing that? And these yeah. people that you're describing are decades younger than yes. those uh, professors who were sitting around uh, Nama. Yeah, it was last uh, year. Back so, in the, yeah, you're talking about people who are born 50 years apart and having the same nonsensical uh, stereotypes. We do a show. I'm sorry. I just want to say yeah. something. So somebody, a friend of ours, um, said it, and I, I think it's a great phrase that Yiddish has a PR problem. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That it's so just... let's let's work on it. Yeah, <laughs> I've said that a million times. Yiddish needs to be rebranded. Right. And there, there is some of that going on. Has been for quite a while. I mean, Yiddish is doing very well uh, by comparison um, uh, uh, to where it was as, as some time back among younger people. Uh, the Evo Yiddish uh, Summer Program is going on right now, as it has been every year for, what, 40-some-odd years now is the summer program? Four or 75 yeah. was the first time. And there, there are, the Evo Summer Program is not the only one. There are many of them. But that attracts a couple of hundred people every year from all over the world who have an interest in Yiddish. And the uh, the Yiddishist community, for lack of a better word, is as varied as you can possibly imagine. We've gone a number of times to a thing that would be going on uh, this summer had it not been for present circumstances mm-hmm. um, called Yiddishvoch, which is a conclave. Uh, that's a week long in a, a in a retreat in, in a retreat uh, somewhere <laughs> in at either in upstate New York or play used a place in in Maryland for a while uh, where they get a couple of hundred people do spending an entire week doing doing everything in Yiddish and there are meals there's sports there's entertainment there's lectures there's workshops there's everything you can possibly imagine all entirely in Yiddish all the time the median age is probably about probably about thirty three. 
and the and it's, range- fr- it's from it's from very religious to completely non-religious. That's, it to it Gentile, covers all the bases. They're, 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 so, yeah. yeah, Yiddish Vach, which is a wonderful event, is not at all untypical. So to some extent, uh, Yiddish has been being rebranded for a while, but on a smallish scale. Yes, and it's the 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 largest scale. Unfortunately, is we're still you know if you're writing a review about a Yiddish film, you have to sh- you have to stick in something sticky in the title, otherwise nobody's gonna read it. I never say that word again. Oh the, my gosh! Yeah, yeah. If you're writing uh-huh. so- something that has to do with Yiddish, the 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 headline will always have something schmaltz. It's just something that to 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 signal Schmendrick. that it's it, it's so right, reductionist. Right. You know, you see the equivalent of this about any other racial or any other culture. You'd be hung by a from a from from a lamppost as a, as a as a screaming appalling racist, but you can get away with this kind of nonsense about European Jewish culture, right. and it's a, it's appalling. There is a um, and I'm I'm going to refer to the. Uh, National Yiddish Theater folks Bina, described a Yiddish experience, which I don't think is, and I've experienced it myself, I don't speak Yiddish, I don't think it's isolated or separated from people that just speak Yiddish, because um, you performed in a play, Waiting for Godot, that was in Yiddish, and was mm-hmm. enormously successful mm-hmm. with non-Yiddish speaking audiences. Now I, let me let me let me take up from 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 there. Um, we also produce our own stuff. Uh, we had a show that we did uh, last year called the Essence. Was, not the Essence. So that's one of them. The one we did right. more recently than the Essence. Although we'll be doing both of them again at some point. The one we did more recently is called Tevya Served Raw Garnished with Jews, <laughs> uh, which was uh, the Tevya stories and other and and various uh, com- comedic stories from Shalom Aleichem. All in, all in Yiddish or Yiddish with English and all with, we always use English supertitles and we're really, really fastidious about the writing of the supertitles and how the, how they work, but that's a separate conversation. But our goal with The Essence, with that show of ours, with the Tevye show, with other things we've done, we never are interested in playing, I am never interested in playing to a Yiddish-speaking audience or to a never, 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 never to a nostalgia audience. I don't care. It's you know, God bless the 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 eighty five year olds. I'm happy to do something for them, to make them you know to 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 entertain them. But I have no desire to put a tons a ton of work into something and to make Yiddish about nostalgia. That's a bag of crap. Folkspinner has done that kind of thing time and again over the years, and I frankly find it appalling when they do something like the Golden Land or on Second Avenue. That's condescending tripe, and and it's I'm sorry, there's no excuse for it. If you're going to uh, I'm a proselytizer, and I, I really want to get more people interested in Yiddish. And you're going to do that. You have to do that with people who who are younger and more, you know, who have who, whose life is ahead of them, not behind them. Forgive me for being so cold, but the, the way I often put it is, there is no future in nostalgia. Yep. Yeah. Uh, so, and the 85 year olds will come anyway. Of course, because they'll come. they hear things and they hear some things being done somewhere in Yiddish. They'll come anyway. But the problem is going back to the PR situation is when we say we're doing something, it's in Yiddish. The first reaction, the first reaction is I'll tell my grandmother. I said, no, don't tell your grandmother, you know, God bless your grandmother. Bring your, bring here, your here, children. Give her a cake, give her the, you know, let her be well, but uh, bring but your kids, right. Bring, come yourself and bring your children because the grandmother will come no matter what. It's you. We want to expose people in. to something that they've never heard before. We don't want that, that, that is the goal for us. So the essence, for example, 
which is our review about the history of Yiddish theater with, uh, 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 it's called The Essence of Yiddish Theater Dim Sum. Uh, and it's uh, kind of a trot through Yiddish theater history for 85 minutes. It was very fast and wise assish with sincere moments as well. Um, our ideal audiences for that show have been Gentile college students because they don't have the stereotypes. They don't come in with any preconceived ideas about what Yiddish or Yiddish theater is supposed to and be. And what they come out with, and we get this all the time, is, and I'm always very skeptical because I never think they're going to say that, and they always say that. There's like, oh my God, this was entertaining and I learned so much. I have no idea. I'm going to go look up Shalom Aleichem stories. I'm going to go look up some Yiddish songs. I'm going to go. So just there's, and, and that's our goal. And, and about the Yiddish language, as in the presentation, one thing I've uh, said for many, many years is that you, uh, and you, we live in New York. A New York audience will go to French movies with titles, Italian movies with titles, German movies with titles. But the idea of seeing Yiddish theater with titles, what it, no, because they hear the word Yiddish, and because of this branding issue, uh, uh, they don't go. And our goal is to maybe I'm, maybe we're tilting at windmills, but our goal is to to fight against that specifically is is to break through that wall. With us, the Yiddish, although our we are very unlike, forgive me, folk being again, we're actually very strict about the quality of the Yiddish. Uh, so Yelena and I and, and our friend Shane Baker and Steve Sterner. Uh, we all, we always work with people who have really who superb command of the language, but at the same time, in performance, the language is the underscoring for the non-Yiddish speaker. It's the background music. So for them, the experience. I always say there's two separate shows going on at the same time. The shows for the Yiddish speakers, which is the language that we speak, who, right, mm -hmm. and the show for the non-Yiddish speakers who are watching the acting and reading the titles. And that um, was that was me in seeing Waiting for Godot. Uh, Paul Rubin was with me that evening when we saw it. But let me but wait, let me let me tell you my experience. I loved it. I loved it. I don't speak I mean I speak a little German and and um it was there was a quality about it that was so human, so down to earth, so these people were real. We, um, they we, were. It, that's what they that's were what doing everybody... stuff that I got it. Now I'm Jewish, and so I was brought up with that sound, even though I didn't understand it. And so I felt like I was at home. It was like I was in a blanket, you know. And it's like though the ideas were like scary, I was okay because I was being taken care of by those sound that was washing I've over me. Never heard anybody say that. But that there's there's oh. yeah, but talk about specifically their own connection to the feel of the language beforehand. But we had I've had we've had parallel responses to yours uh that are also illuminated specifically related to Godot. So the reason I was asked to do Godot, to do Pazzo and Godot in the Yiddish Godot from the get-go, from before the, with mm -hmm. that for the first leg mm -hmm. of it, which was the one done at the place way west on 42nd Street. Uh, I turned it down. And the reason I turned it down is I had done a first-rate production of Godot at Two River Theater in Jersey. And truth to tell, and I enjoyed doing that production. We had a great cast, and it did very. It was a very good production. But I've never liked the damn play. Yep. And the problem with Godot, to me, is 98% of productions of Godot are, don't have those qualities that you described. They aren't human. They aren't simple. They, they aren't seem very goyish. 
<laughs> yes, yes, well, exactly that. And the I mean, it's, it's is, hard. It's hard edged. It's kind of, you know, it's not. I don't know. Yeah. Because but it's it, not but, about people. But it is. But it, but it oughtn't to be because the problem is Beckett's English, number one, and the problem is the play's standing and its reputation. Beckett wrote the play originally in French and then translated it into English, and his English is written in a kind of a pseudo poetic tone that's very clumsy. Frankly, I do not like the Beckett's English in Godot. And the play is always done as a, there was this insufferable Irish production that was shown on PBS some years ago. And I, we watched about 10 minutes of it. And it seemed like the subtext of every line the actors were saying was, oh, isn't this profound? Oh, it's so deep. Oh, isn't this such a wise insight into the life of man on earth? Oh, it's so wise. And, and it was just get me out of this crap. What the, the real difference with the Yiddish Godot, and you don't have to have your background and connection to the sound of it, even to appreciate this. Good. The connection to the Yiddish, what, the, what was so brilliant about the Yiddish Godot, Elaine and I went to see it. We had to go, even though I turned it down, we went to see it because we knew everybody in it. Of course, so I went we were, kicking and screaming because yeah, I did not yeah, want to go. She really didn't want to go. In the middle of the first act, the two of us are sitting in the audience and we turned to each other, shocked, both of us. Uh-huh. Like, this is terrific. Uh-huh. And we were really enjoying it because it had all those qualities you described. Because what Shane's Yiddish translation did and what the tone of the production is, did is it stripped away all that crap, all, that, all those pseudo-intellectual barnacles that have been gathering all over it forever and choking it and made it simple and human and funny. Suddenly we were able to see for the first time these two idiots standing there in, in, the, in the middle of whatever this human situation is, trying to figure out what is the purpose? What are they living for? What are they waiting for? This is absolutely universal, you know, absolutely human. And, and, I never, and, and it never was clear before because it was this, this overlay of intellectual dreck. So yep. we took, we, this production went to Northern Ireland to the International Beckett Festival. Yeah, and I did it there. And so Alan did it there and I went to, I ran the titles, uh, the super titles, and we did 10 performances in a 12-day festival. And the audience is there. So this festival took place in Enniskill in Northern Ireland, which is the place where Beckett went to school. We, played we did on it the, in his school. We, we did played it, the, it on the stage where he was in the glee club or something. Yeah. And... <laughs> The audiences, there was a lot of stuff Beckett going on. Beckett and Glee are not two words that go together very often. Go on. It's certainly not Yiddish speakers in the audience. N- none, none. And it's so there were events going on all around town, and there were some major. Um, uh, there was uh, Craps Last Tape for three performances. There was Godot in French for three performances. But at the uh, during the second week, if you wanted to see a production, because there were a lot of other smaller things happening, you went to see Godot in Yiddish, because that was what was available. And all of the the audiences, everybody in the audience, they all they learn it in school. They they study it in school, Godot. And I cannot tell you how many Irish, English, whatever people came up to us and said, I've learned it in school, I've seen it, I don't know how many times. This is the first time I understood what the play's about. And they didn't speak a word of Yiddish. And it was funny, it was touching. I had no idea this play that I know since I was 14 was funny and touching and moving. And I think it's one of the deepest theatrical experiences I've had. They did have the titles on the side, but they didn't speak the language. Yeah, nobody spoke the language. And Mm. so somehow by by putting it into Yiddish, you get an idea of, you know, who are they waiting for? You know that he's not going to show up. I, I, you know, you know 
you just you know all of this, and you know, somehow you in know English you do not. They're going to continue waiting because that's, that's right. the exactly. human condition. It, yeah, that's right. And, yeah. That's right. And uh, I, I, you know, I, um, I, I applaud the the translation, though there's no way that I could have kind of like mm-hmm. taken all of that in while I was watching it. But it was the performance. Mm-hmm. It was the performance within the, I don't know, the embedment inside of Yiddish that created a performance with the actors. Is there, and, and this is, I think, what I was asking before. Is there something in the rhythms of the language, in the, in, in, in the sound, in the musicality of it that affects the performer in a way that made this accessible? Let me... Why I have something to say, but he won't let me. Oh, no, no, go ahead. Go ahead <laughs> no, 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 it's fine. I have, that's right, I have something better to say. Um, <laughs> Why did you say it? <laughs> that's a, no, don't worry, I'll, I'll pay for that later. Um, <laughs> and, <laughs> and that too. Um, <laughs> anyhow, uh, we, on, on a parallel level to, to your question, I, um, I'll give an example of something that, uh, that I think maybe answers uh, your question. It talks about Talking about think about the tone of Yiddish, which is which is the essential difference, and it has something to do with humor. A friend of mine years ago read a book about humor, about uh, how to play comedy, how to be funny, something like that. And he said the opening line of the first chapter was, "If you're black, Jewish, or gay, you could skip this chapter entirely." So <laughs> uh, <laughs> what? And we, he read that being none of the three, he went on and read it. Um, and he, what it was about was the directness that is in those three cultures. In Yiddish, Yiddish similar like, like in black culture, you talk directly. You mm-hmm. tell the truth. This is what makes Jewish people, black people, gay people funnier than you know, white Anglo-Saxon Protestants from the Midwest, excepting you know, maybe Dick Cavett or somebody uh, and Johnny Carson. Um, it's that you, you, there's no mask you're just t- telling the direct, true point, and that is something that is intrinsic to the language because the lang- because the culture and the attitudes are wrapped up within the language itself. So there's the difference between, if, if anything, playing in Yiddish and playing in English. You can't play the Marlboro Man in Yiddish. You can, but it's gonna come out <laughs> Mickey Cats. <laughs> I, 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 th- I actually disagree with what you're saying because. Mamishtana. <laughs> what's new? Because, <laughs> because we fight with this all the time. We fight against this all the time because we have an idea that Yiddish is funny. And then anything you say in that language inherently is funny. And we, we, you know, we talk about Yiddish theater and Yiddish theater has realism and melodrama and comedy and tragedy and all of those things, just like American theater has or any English theater has. But, you know, we only know one thing and that we sort of spread that blanket all over. At the same time, I never actually said that out loud. I was thinking about Godot as you were talking, you know, we all know, you know, you, you go... Godot has baggage. You go to the theater, you know it's going to be a boring theater, evening, deep, dark, depressing, whatever. The lights go down and you hear a krecht. <laughs> you hear, <laughs> what's his name, Try, trying to take off his boots. Something so, unvarnishedly human. So yeah. you hear, you know, the lights are off oh, and you yeah. hear, you, no, you hear, yeah. you know, and it's, you're not expecting that. You're expecting deep, profound something, yeah. and you get that. And you get 
your neighbor or your father or yourself or the person you live with. With a big and smelly so, shoe. With a big so, smelly shoe. Right. So what what makes so it makes good it made Godot Yiddish made Godot human. human. Yeah. somehow but i don't think yiddish makes everything else funny no, i don't know I, it, I don't want to overstate the funny thing i'm just saying that there is the one quality that yiddish has which is what makes it so great for humor is the directness is because you, you don't speak with a mask in yiddish typically it's if i could just push against that a little bit because my grandfather used yiddish in a very dark way and this is my father's father to make fun of people um, and, and to bring out their kind of, uh, their, their, their issues, um, through, through his language. Um, yeah, but that's not, that's not contradicting me. You're still talking about somebody speaking directly, not speaking through a mask. Well, he was speaking directly to his son who understood what he was saying and he was playing for his son. Uh, and so that, I mean, I guess it depends who your audience is. Uh, but yeah, it was, it was direct. It was absolutely direct, totally honest. And mm-hmm. it's like you knew exactly what he was feeling. Yeah, you uh, can't be the the opposite ex- extreme would be the, the experience that uh, Yelena told me about the the, the Swedish lunch, sure, in the, or breakfast, whatever it was. In the uh, we played in uh, Sweden uh, a couple of times. I did it once, and Yelena did it uh, did it uh, twice. There's a a group there that brought us over to play in Yiddish. And the second time when I was not there, Yelena and Shane, I think, yeah. were having dinner, were having breakfast, it was, in the hotel restaurant. And there was a Swedish family that came and sat on the next table opposite them, opposite the aisle, uh, four people, mm-hmm. uh, parents, kids, sat there, had an entire breakfast, civil, clean, perfectly behaved. Nobody spoke, a, nobody seemed angry or anything, nobody but spoke nobody spoke a word. a word the entire time. Just perfect. Orderly, cleanly, da, 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 no, nothing emotional, nothing. This is the exact opposite of, of the. <laughs> you cannot be that person. You cannot be the person who sits and does not express anything, any color, any flavor, anything. You can't be that person in Yiddish. It's Im- Im- impossible. Yes, exactly. Like, what, what was the. Uh, that was that is isn't that a gold a Samuel Goldwynism? I'll tell you in two words. Impossible. Impossible. There you go. <laughs> there you go. A couple other things I wanted to ask you about. Or if One, you want, we can go on and you can take out the boring stuff later. So you're I haven't found anything boring so far. So, um, <laughs> oh, you haven't been listening We're to me. Yeah. Shut up. <laughs> the prologue to a serious man. Can we talk about that? Sure. We that, don't know anything about it. Oh, God. <laughs> I had this conversation last night. Just yeah. last I'm night. Sure, I'm sure you talk about it to a lot of people. Because it's yeah, a magical and the answer is- and Piece the answer is we don't know what what any of it means any more than the people that watch the movie. I, know, I heard Alan one. give a he gave an interpretation of it. I do. I see Lewis on that uh, on that interview. Yeah, it's but this is the most common thing we get when anybody, anybody finds out that that was us. And yeah. I did the Yiddish translation, by the way, as well, because the Cohens wrote it. In the, I know. Um, yeah, I yeah. know. <laughs> he heard the interview. I heard well, it. The most, what was it like working with uh, with um, um, uh, Fiveish? Fiveish, yeah. Well, we worked at Fivership a bunch of times. We did at uh, Symphony Space, Miriam Hoffman's Yiddish translation of the Sunshine Boys. Uh, and, as a benefit. Uh, for, right. With, and it was with Fivish and Theo as the two uh, old guys. And Yelena was both nurses. Uh, the black nurse was not black in this version. Okay. She was uh, a wise-cracking Jewish nurse. Yeah, exactly. And a big fat uh, fuzzy. In the, in the sketch. Um, and I was the nephew, the Richard Benjamin role. 
And that was a lot of fun. I, ironically, uh, last year I did another production of Sunshine Boys, this time in English, and I played the George Burns part. And Yelena said, well, you've aged pretty quickly, haven't you? Going from <laughs> Richard Benjamin to George Burns in 15 years. Yeah. Ironically, I was a little too old for the nephew then and a little too young for the old man now, but it worked out. Um, anyhow, nice. about the so five issues adult was a doll. And I miss him. I was just Shane and I had a nice long chat last night. We we're talking about how much we missed Five Ish. And Five Ish knew where the bodies were buried. He was <laughs> he had tons of stories about everybody who was ever worked. Ever Boy, worked. that must have been fun. Must have oh, to be with him. Yeah, and you and you just you kind of you kind of just nudged him in the right direction, and he you just just he will hear he would hear something you know some word one word and half an hour later yeah, you know, just half an hour of stories and then you gave him another word and he just went into another i direction. did an interview i interviewed five ish for primary stages uh, has an online project uh, about the history of off broadway and uh, they wanted to interview five ish about that and i was asked uh, by my friend sally plus who was putting it together uh to uh, do the interview so i did it's a very that they were gonna do the golem they sent for me then. I went in there. Why did they send for me? Because the one that ran that theater, that's that one in, on the, near St. Mark's Place on the first floor. Uh, he was. He saw me do a show and he figured I would be right for the... There was two rabbis involved in that play. And uh, I said, okay, uh, I didn't know what it was all about. He said, we're going to stick out our neck to have you, Mr. Finkel. I said, what do you call sticking out the neck? We'll give you $25 a week. <laughs> I said, really? You better have a long neck there, young man. I told him, the neck is long enough. I can't live with that kind of money. Getting back to A Serious Man and, and, and the Please. prologue, um, I'm, I'm, I, I guess to get back to the theme here about what is Yiddish and what is the flavor of Yiddish and you know uh, what is the experience of it, I, there's no way that you could have done that scene as and, and translated into English. I mean, you couldn't have done it in English. Well, it was written in English. But, yeah, the, uh, what was written in the script is the subtitles that you hear, that you see. That's right. right. That was yeah. the scene. It was done sort of back afterwards. Um, actually, before I, I, I just realized I didn't answer your previous thing about the interpretation, because this is the question we always get. What is the relation okay. between the prologue and he the rest of the movie? No, but he then he asked for my explanation. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, and the answer we always give is we don't know. Every interpretation is as valid as every other interpretation. It's completely subjective. I'll tell you my own, and then I'll tell you Ethan's, Ethan Cohen's. Um, uh, my own personal one, like I said, it's no more legit than anybody else's. Is, so the question is, is Five-ish, char Five Ish character a Dybbuk or is he not? Right. So if you take the, uh, the perspective that he isn't, then the prologue is the rest of the movie in miniature. Mm -hmm. Because here is this innocent decent menschlich guy who just tries to help, who just helps somebody, you know, help somebody fix his wagon on the road and innocently enough goes into his house for, you know, for some soup and winds up walking out bleeding from his chest with an ice pick stuck in it. Right. Uh, and, he, and he didn't do anything. And he did nothing wrong. So, which is exactly what happens to, uh, to the lead character in the, in the rest of the movie, in the right. main part. That makes sense. Yeah. Now, Ethan's ex explanation uh, interpretation of what the relation is between the prologue and the rest of the movie mm -hmm. is was, and I quote, we just thought it would be a cool way to start the movie. Yeah, unquote. <laughs> yeah, sure. <laughs> sure. I don't, well, I don't they that. did, they were looking for a 
Jewish supernatural story. They read a lot of Bashev's singer, etc. Yeah. Didn't find anything they liked that was sort of that was the story that did the job for them. So they invented the one that uh, that we yeah. ultimately did. But I mean, as as uh, when when you watch it, it's like he walks out the door, and it's like he flies away or he's dead on the snow. It it's it could be it could be either one. Uh, Elena, right. was that fun doing that, playing that role? That that seemed it's like. She is so certain he is dead and he's a ghost. Well, yeah, I mean, it was it was fun. Once you get over, you know, oh, my God, we're in a Coen Brothers movie. Oh, my God, you know, Joel <laughs> is talking to me. Like, once you get over, like, the, the initial four hours of how is this even remotely happening in real life, I had a lovely time. <laughs> and also, we... we always talk about it you know the actors always talk about the process and how they find the things they find and i always find those things incredibly boring to listen to mm-hmm. and um very it's just it's 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 such an intangible thing and it's impossible to explain and yet i can understand i mean talking about the process is you know that's something that's going on inside of you and you you know right what you're doing. and and also everybody else has their own, has their own and you know i have no way of explaining exactly you're not going to understand what i'm saying because yeah. you have different things inside you but i um i'm always a little worried with the you know i know the lines but i still don't know really what i'm doing and then um i had to be my costume had to be approved so they did and um, the makeup so they did everything to me and uh, they showed me to Joel and Ethan and they approved it and then when I showed up on the set, when I showed up in that house and I saw that crooked stove and there was, you, you never see it in the shot, but in one of the, in one of the corners was this little bed for one person with a mattress was like, what's the word? Indentation. Yeah. It was like, it was, it was, it was completely concave. It was almost touching the floor and it was only big for one person, enough for one person. And I, I, I looked at everything that I looked at everything and I knew I knew why I was doing the thing, who I was, and why, how I was gonna say the, how I was gonna say these lines, and what the relationship was, because all of a sudden the environment kind of helped me, helped me understand all this. That it was beautifully that, produced, beautifully, a lot of detail. That well, that that in itself is an amazing statement from an from a working actor about how the set. Uh, or or the mise en scene in film, how that kind of like creates this um, feeling that that you needed in order to get to get through those lines in a, in yeah. a real way. Yeah, I I never heard that before. And then that bed wasn't even in the shot, so it was never in the shot. We have I had I not I didn't sneak. I had a digital little camera because this was before cell phones. Yeah. And uh, I, we have some pictures from the set of the parts that, of things you never saw, of the things you never saw. And there's there's a picture of me sitting on that bed, and it's the picture is called "I Live Here," because like it, everything, it's it's just all together. And a lot of actors actually, um, Laurence Olivier is famous for you know he would ca- he would be cast in something. And he would be spend hours in front of the television, uh, television in front of the mirror, makeup uh, mirror, f- yeah. makeup mirror sure. f- looking for looking for his nose. Yeah, I heard, so I, like I until he it. found what he looks like. Yeah. And I always thought it's a ridiculous statement. I think that on the set of a serious man, <laughs> I realized that I'm way closer yeah. to my closer to his process. Oh, so now you're Lawrence Olivier. Oh, but I'm it helps. I'm more of an outside in person because I can know all my lines, but then I get into costume 
and I see that the person who wears this says these lines differently or can't say them at all. And I had a fight with a customer once. Yeah. I was like, I, this is the wrong dress. <laughs> I can't say these lines in that dress. Wow. Wow. Yeah. But the, yeah. the costume they gave you fit what you thought the lines they would weren't, be. The, the, the Coen brothers. Yeah. Yes. And we tried a couple of things and they weren't, one of them was too modern and one of them was too old. Yeah. And we had a really hard time finding the, the right. right things. Right. I mean, we could also talk about the story of Alan and the horse. Um, oh, did I? Yeah, I talked about that. In talked the about thing. that. Did I tell you about the, would you like to know about the audition process, about how we got that? Sure. I probably talk about that. Yeah. I talked talk about that on the other interview too, but uh, something just reminded me of it. Uh, how we uh, the uh, how we wound up getting cast in the movie? Yeah, we auditioned separate. I hear it was your, yeah. mostly Elena who got you the job. That's there what is he no question. <laughs> there is no particle of I got that uh, job because of Elena. I was in. She went in for uh, uh, her initial audition uh, for the casting director. And I was at that time doing a play in the theater in, in mid-state California. And so it was decided they would look at a video, which I shot out in California. Somebody out there helped me shoot. And uh, I sent it in. And Yelena dropped it off when she did her first audition. Yeah, I showed up and I said, I have my, I have, here's my husband in an envelope. <laughs> you know, it's yeah. not ashes. It's, so yeah. they knew we were married, yeah. but they, but they, so the first audition was single. And then the second audition. Now, not just for the casting director, not for the Coens. And the second audition was for the Coen brothers, which is unheard of. Because yeah. they're usually, you just do it on tape. I mean, for for the level that we were at, I guess I don't know. Not for no, for but for for a, for a movie for a Woody Allen Coen brothers something like that. The the last one they're there. Sure, but I didn't know it was the last one. It was the second one. Yeah. Usually, you get like three or four yeah. if, when you to get yeah. to that level. So the well, I heard the you guys brothers. bickered in Yiddish. <laughs> Would you like us to? Well, I know um, you could have just done it just then, but go ahead. <laughs> you think that's bickering? Oh, I know. We turn the camera off. <laughs> But uh, so the second audition was for the Coen brothers and they what they did, they were in the room, but they paired us. They, they called a bunch of people for the same time slot and they paired us up. So we basically acted out the scene in front of them. And I got paired up with two people who I hadn't worked with in this, in several years, but who I had worked with before in Yiddish theater. And they were laugh The Coen brothers were laughing at everything. Everything that came out of her mouth. They, they were laughing at commas. Yeah. Yeah. I and, wish that was mine. I stole that from Robert. And they Benchley. don't speak Yiddish, and 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 it's not that fun. Like I, I don't understand. I still don't understand what they were. But whatever it was, they laughed. <laughs> Everything that came out of my mouth, they laughed. Then I came in, Mikatsev. But the, I came in from my callback a couple weeks later when I got back from California, and it was Dostoevsky's funeral. <laughs> nothing. Nothing. Crickets. Nothing. nothing. So clearly, they loved her. And they knew we were married, so they figured, look, as long as we're taking her, we might as well take the Bahama along with us. Because we want to keep her happy. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> they were laughing, I am sure, because they found the right character. They found the person that they wanted Clearly. to find. <laughs> no, no, no. They were laughing from just the joy. Like, that was what they heard in their head. Yes. I mean, we I mean, laugh at what we recognize. Very it true. does happen. I mean, they've, they've auditioned, you know, tall women, short women, old, sh old women, you know, older women, younger women, all different sizes, all different ages, like everybody I have ever worked with in Yiddish theater and uh, auditioned for this. And I saw them in that room. They were laughing so, from joy. <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> I, 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 I can't think of another story. 
Um, and please send me that picture of you on the bed. Oh, means. Can I use that for the notes? That would be that would be fantastic. Mm -hmm. Can you write that down? Yeah, I'll I'll, I'll remind you if I don't get it. You, I have a secretary. Uh huh. I see him. Let him do his job. Good looking chap there. I, I thank you for um, doing this for us, uh, Alan and Elena. This was wonderful. It's almost like I like I know you. Um, maybe. <laughs> Maybe. And you only know one side because we do speak, you know, we do, we work way more in English. Right. <laughs> it just never came up. Maybe sometime in the near future, when we all survive this, uh, we can get together for a beer and. You're oh, absolutely. Would love to. We, we sure. do, we do a, um, a podcast called Bar Crawl Radio in which we invite our guests to the bar and we buy them drinks and we have conversations. Oh. The minute this is over, yeah. please think, call me. I think we could have a great time. I think we'd have a great oh, time. Oh, he gets really philosophical after three drinks. All right. All right. That, 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 that'll Even be more on pretentious us. than all. Yeah. Thank you very much, so much for joining us on Hunkered Down. Hopefully we'll be hunkered up pretty soon and we'll be out of this situation. It's been Thank great. It's so been much. great meeting you. It's been great, great meeting nice you. Nice to meet you. Thank really you. enjoyed it. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Um, you you two promised to uh, read something for us, something to help us get through this pandemic crisis that we're in. Something that'll, I don't know, lift us up or tell us something about who we are. Anything. Well, I, t I tell you what, we have to. In that case, we have to give you a choice yes. because we have we have two pieces, each of which do one of those things, uh, uh, but uh, not together. Not, not together. together. One one of which is is. Thing. The other one is deeply depressing. So pick the one you want. <laughs> so we decided on the uplifting choice to go along with the rest of the conversation we just had. So here is Elena Schmolson, Alan Lewis Rickman, with a piece I'm calling Chazen at the Bat. So this is a routine from Yiddish vaudeville. It's a monologue uh, that uh, the great Yiddish monologist Michael Rosenberg uh, used to do. It's a story about a greenhorn immigrant who absolutely loves cantorial music, but is not yet uh, quite adjusted to how things work in the United States. I should mention beforehand that I do it in Yiddish, Yelena translates into English, but we kept in the English translation a couple of words from the Yiddish, chazen, which means cantor, and davin, which means pray. So in case anybody doesn't know those, well, you learn two new Yiddish words. And we figured we better keep that in the original, even in the translation, because otherwise it starts to sound too Presbyterian. Are you ready? Yeah. America is nothing but a great big nuthouse. Listen, I love a good chazen. Love, love, love it. So when I hear there's a new chazen in the Bronx, chazen yankel, I jump on the subway and I run up to hear him. Mele, the train is gepackt, 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 gepackt by 165 streets, where the train is packed, packed, but at 161st Street, everybody starts pushing and shoving. This is where Hasen Yankel Davins. I look up at the sign. This is it. 
Yankel Stadium. Ich gehe hier runter, Lines mit Lines mit Wada Teunard. Jeden von den Volk jeden. Tag Amerikaner vorbereitet. Kommt da gut nach Hause und geht mit dem Herren. I go downstairs. Look at all these Jews. Okay, America might be in that house, but give them a good cousin. People turn out. Ich komme zu zum Boxhaus. Der Mann dort gibt mir eine Frage. Was ihr wollt? Grandstand? Zeblinches. At the box office, the guy says, what do you want? Grandstand or Blinzes? Oh, Blinzes. Ich war Blinzes, wo der weggeben dem Taten mit dem Armen. So ich... Ich war Blinzes. I'll give you both my parents. So I say... Give me Blinzes. Ich komm mal rein. Da sehe ich etwas einen Riesenplatz mit tausenden Menschen. Mitten a Feld. Und von beiden Seiten Löcher in the Trenches. I go inside and there's... Thousands of people are on some kind of a field, and on both sides there's trenches and holes. Von einem Loch kommt da ruhig etwas am Arm mit der Bräunungshut, mit der Mutter Jahrmärkte auf dem Kopf. Äh, das ist aber der choir leader. From one hole there comes a guy wearing a brown suit and a funny yarmulke. This must be the choir leader. Noch ihm, noch ein Hefermann mit wollenen Socken, kurze Gattges, und äh, mit der Sweater, und auf dem Sweater steht dann geschrieben, Jankel. Und das soll sein, mein Chassen? Meile nu, wenn stellt man sich da abenen? Next comes a guy with wool socks, long underpants, and a sweater with Yankel written on it. Oh, so this is the cousin. Okay, fine. Start the services already. Mit der Mulde will ich etwas ersetzt in Plätze, als der rechte Link fällt mir runter. Suddenly I feel a zetz in my back that could knock a lung out. Hello, buddy! Ich gebe a guck, es ist etwas, a man mit dem selben Sweater, und er ist mir gleich mehr gehabt mit ein Atterboy, als wird mir finsteren Wegen. I turn around and I see a guy with the same sweater, and then right away it's Atterboy, and I'm seeing stars almost. So I say, what is it here? So he says, it's gonna be some game. So I say, where is the man with the brown suit with the yarmulke? Who's that bozo in the brown suit and the so he says, this is the Jumpire. So I say, and there, there, with a big hand, was talked him glove. And the guy with a glove on his big swollen hand. So he says, this is the pitcher. Nu mit der Mol, Kinder ist einer ein Mann mit der Matratze auf dem Boyer und mit der Streamer auf dem Pond und man soll mir seid locken. Next comes out some clown with a mattress on his stomach and a spaghetti strainer on his face. So geht's auch der. So he says, this, this is, is the, the catcher. catcher. Doch was catcht er? Es catchen soll er a cold. Catcher, schmatcher, let him catch a cold. In der Pitcher speiten Glove und er reibt den Ball und es wird er waffelig mit dem Ball. Find Pitcher zum Catcher, find Catcher zum Pitcher. Keiner, wenn sie will nicht, dass der Ball nicht so stehen darf. And the pitcher rubs the ball, and they start throwing it back and forth from pitcher to catcher, from catcher to pitcher. Nobody wants to hold on to the damn thing. Mit dem Ohr kommt der Reuser Größenwagen letzt mit der langen Walgeholz, und er misst sich an einen Zwischen, sie. Und die auf Zellach ist los zu dem Catcher, nicht catchen dem Ball. Next comes some character with a big rolling pin, who shoves himself right in between them, and he won't let the catcher catch the ball. And the umpire schreit. And the umpire screams. Ball one! Ball two! Ball three! Mit dem Ohrgitter geschrei. All of a sudden he hollers, Strike! Trachtig. Wo sind du? Wo ist ein Union Meeting? What is this here, a Union Meeting? Da wo sie sitzen, sie alle. Ich weiß doch, es bei mir ein Schab. Als mir geht der Geschrei, Strike, gehen alle picketen. 
So why is everybody sitting at my job? If somebody else strike, everybody goes out picketing. Ich bin doch aber a gute Junior, man. Stell euch so hoch it. Mir geht der Geschrei, Serral! Tracht dich, öfter als Sedan strike. Setz dich sogar weg. I'm a good union man, so I stand up. Somebody else, sit down! Oh, so this is a sit-down strike. I sit down. Äh, da wird erwartet, ich mit dem Ball. Wind pitche zum Ketsche, wind pitche zum Pitsche. In do, mich sich rein, der Hefermann mit dem Wolgeholz. The pitcher and the catcher go back to throwing the ball. The pitcher to catcher to catcher the pitcher. And Mr. Rolling Pin shoves himself in right in the middle. And I air, as er da sitzt dem Ball, and the ball and flee, and I'm sich leifen, as I be am a sugar. And he hits the ball, and the ball starts flying, and he starts running like a mental case. And my body nimmt mich setzen in the plate. And my body behind me starts pounding me on the back again. Ah, boy! boy. Atta boy! And the ball fleet! And drei chevre light leaf and happen the ball! And the ball is flying and three characters are chasing it. So I say, Fails and in Zay. Who are they? Well, so there. So he says, They, they are, are the, the fly catchers. catchers. Oh, it's a tired job. Drei lange Wagelletzen, stauen sich weg, und mit dem Helm durchrappen, fliegen, kranz, und es ist ein Arbeiten! Oh, that's some job. Three big goofballs running around chasing flies. What's the matter? They can't go to work? And er, er, mit, mit dem Wagelholz, er stoppt nicht leifen. Doch wo's leift er? Ihm ist ein Jockt ihm. Mr. Rolling Pin over there won't stop running. What? Is somebody chasing him? And, and the, the ball fleet, and Sveta tumbo mit der Gewalt, and my body setzt mich in die Plätze. And everybody's hollering, and the ball is Flying and my body keeps pounding me on the back. At the boy! At the boy! Run home! Run home! Run home! Is a voice or gain sits and as my son will pack the ring Run home? What am I waiting for? For him to be beat my lungs out? The hell with this? I ran home. So, such the is of the game here in Hazen, America. I'm supposed to go here at Hazen in America. Ach, no way, Jose. I'm, I'm true, and that's all. And goodbye. goodbye. <laughs>